0: i <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It is week 305 if I'm not mistaken. I have a handful of reviews for you. I got the big 1981 deal where I asked you guys his top 10 of 1981 and I had a bunch of contributors and I added up everything and got a top 10 or top whatever for you guys to uh, read off some statistics. But I mean, it's it's no surprise. what the most popular horror films of 1981 are. But let's hop into the reviews. The first up is from Unearth Classics. And this is a strange one. I did not know much about this film. And this is Grand Tour, a.k.a. Timescape, I believe, is the alternate name and it starts jeff daniels jeff daniels is a as a solid actor He's always done a great job um escanaba in the moonlight dumb and dumber um arachnophobia i believe jeff daniels is in arachnophobia it's been years but jeff daniels really solid actor and this is from 1991 i'd not really heard much about this film it's not necessarily a horror film so a lot of people may be like that's kind of a strange release from on earth but you know Severn put out overboard and and i mean this does have more of a horror sci-fi tinge than some of the other stuff that's been put out by company uh, genre companies but hey cool anyways uh yeah this film follows the story of jeff daniels who decides to buy this old kind of rundown hotel um this old kind of house he's turning into a hotel and he lives there with his daughter the mother has passed away under tragic circumstances throughout the movie we get glimpses of what happened until we finally get the major reveal very odd and very crazy kind of like the scene in beetlejuice where the couple go off the bridge but just times 10 and even more depressing I guess because it's not a dark comedy but anyways there's dark comedy elements in the film though so what happens is this strange group of people decide that they want to stay at his hotel even though it's not fixed up he kind of denies them at first but then kind of caves in they're all bizarre they act almost like aliens Uh, a a few familiar faces in there including uh, I believe the doctor uh, from the Giver is what I recognized him from not the two little the cameo by Jeffrey Combs there's another doctor who's with him that doctor is in here, and he, these people are very bizarre and very strange. The guy who drove them there doesn't know much about them on the bus. So uh, Jeff Daniels immediately becomes kind of suspicious of them. Meanwhile, he moved back to his hometown or a town that he used to live in with his wife, and the father-in-law there is giving him some trouble. And there starts to be some custody disputes over the daughter, which kind of drive Jeff Daniels over the edge in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah, it is a time traveling film and I don't want to spoil um, too much, but uh, it's it's really interesting where it goes. And what's really good about this film is it captures the small town feel really well. The characters are well established. The town looks really nice. And it is not completely like uh, I I would say it does have a sweet quality to it, but it's a little bit more hard edge than a lot of the other family oriented movies. You know, it's not complete you know, uh, you know, family cheeriness. There's some depression to it, some you know, some moments that are pretty sad. All all around it's a good film. It's a solid film. It's uh and it reminds me of something like the Mothman Prophecies. Is that kind of a weird thing to say? I know, but that's kinda of in line in a lot of ways that it fits. But uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy this. And Daniels is, like I said, a great actor, and he gets to act a, a kind of a couple different times, if that makes any sense. And we have some Back to the Future stuff going on in here. But yeah, this is a really solid film. The special features are Timescape title sequence, obviously the alternative name, Lost of Time, Cans promo, production skills, poster mock up, and artwork gallery, and trailers. So yeah, this is Region Locked. It's PG 13. That's kind of, is it the first PG 13 movie released by On Earth? I think it might be. But this is the Grand Tour. I know that they had the uh, the old man movie, which is not PG. I, I don't know what it's rated, but it's too bizarre. But yeah, this is a good film. I think that people that aren't too typically into on-Earth films would enjoy this one. You know, they put out rock and roll too. So they do put out uh, some things that aren't necessarily like the straight whore, gore, extreme stuff. They have, a, they have a whole line of different things. So yeah, check out Grand Tour. Okay, the next up is Baby Oopsie 2 Murder Dolls. That's right, the sequel to Baby Oopsie, which came out in 2021. Now, if anybody doesn't know, Full Moon's kind of moved their operations to Cleveland. And for a long time, you guys know, Charles was run by Charles Band. He had Wizard Video, Empire Pictures, and then Full Moon throughout the 90s and our late 80s. And there was like video store staples. Now, the video stores kind of went away. You know, the budget's kind of pulled back in the early 2000s. And then, you know, lately, he's been making a lot of direct, uh, like, I guess, Streaming service movies, very, very cheap stuff. But he's having a lot of other like directors kind of step in. These ones are done by William Butler. William Butler, you know, was an actor in a slew of a, a horror films in the eighties and nineties, you know, Ghoulies 2, Texas Chainsaw 3, Friday 7, just a bunch of these kind of movies. He directed other films like Ginger Dead Man, um, or he wrote Ginger Dead Man, I believe, and wrote the Return of Living Dead 4 and 5. Supposedly that those movies seem like a mess. I don't know what's going on with those. But then uh, you know, he's been working on films forever he works at full moon and um 2021 he directed baby oopsie and you know um a lot of the newer full moon movies are super cheap but for some reason i find them just a little bit Easier to watch than the early 2000s output. I did not really care for a lot of horror films from that time frame, uh, American horror films. But I think that these ones are actually kind of fun. They're cheap, they're short, um, they, they're self-aware, they're goofy. And baby oopsie was that. The sequel is about an hour long. It's 56 minutes long, and it feels kind of like they did the the trauma or the uh, the trauma kind of deal. You know, where they took Return of the Nukem High and they had so much footage they made two movies, kept shooting and shooting and shooting, and it's like maybe this should have been one movie. Who knows? Return of the Nukem High, whatever. But, uh, so essentially, so, and Toxic Avenger 2 and 3 as well. But what we have here is a continuation of the story. It feels like all three of these were shot like back to back, and they moved their operations to Cleveland. There's this giant house that they have, which is pretty cool, you know, kind of kind of semi local for me, not too far off. Um, I'm waiting to see if like actors I know pop up in some of these, uh, full moon movies ever, uh, in, in a bit. But regardless, um, the first one was about this uh, this doll, like, influencer. She made dolls. She talked about dolls that got, like, made this evil doll that started killing all the people that hated on her baby Oopsie. You guys remember from the Demonic Toys films, Demonic Toys and Doll Man vs. Demonic Toys, and probably Puppet Man vs. Demonic Toys. And then I think there was a Demonic Toys 2, which I never saw. So, so, essentially, she creates Baby Oopsie and brings, brings Baby Oopsie back, and she starts killing all the enemies and stuff. And she's kind of like, now she's being haunted by her, like, mother-in-law who's calling her an idiot and telling her to do the right thing. But her and Ray-Ray her neighbor who is this kind of strange character, um, have like formed almost like a, a, a mother father relationship with Baby Oopsie, and everything's going you as it probably would. You know, Baby Oopsie killing whoever. Characters from the first ones are popping up, getting picked off here and there. But a police officer starts to look into the invest uh, to the f- thing, uh, and she kind of goes and talks to a priest as well to try to fix everything. She kind of wants out of it, and while Ray Ray is kind of diving headfirst into more of the demonic shit, um, there's also a company outside uh, Asian company, I think Chinese company, that wants more dolls created so yeah boom it's a charles band movie you got to have more dolls you got to have more than baby oopsie so they create this clown character and a cowboy character so there we go so there's three times the dolls i wouldn't say three times the murder um it's fun it's cheap it's it's kind of very easy to watch very short uh the characters are fairly well established i mean they're two-dimensional but i enjoyed them i laughed a lot and you know what i'm gonna be honest the acting in these is better than a lot of the acting from the early 2000s horror films. You know, those really low-budget early 2000s films where it seemed like they just hired, like, a lot of companies would just hire, like, these supermodels who only did commercials, commercial, toothbrush commercials. Now, this one has, like, people that, you know, seem like they want to act and they're doing a pretty good job. They're funny and uh, even if, you know, sometimes they, you know, they're they're just being goofy and, and doing gross things is kind of like their, their MO to be the comedic kind of deal here. But, you know what, for what it is, it works. There's not, there's a A um, a feature on here bringing up baby which kind of like is it's like all three of the movies kind of mixed in does a story it's like 40 minutes and then full moon trailers so it's directed by William Butler and for what it is I'd like to know the budgets on these what they're doing for these in the budgets because that would be kind of interesting but that's baby oopsie 2 murder dolls you can watch the full thing on YouTube or you can buy the blu-ray okay now we're moving into the finale of the baby oopsie trilogy that's right this is a trilogy this is baby oopsie 3 burn baby burn yes again all three of the dolls are back in this one and uh Now it's kind of like a continuation of that story and all things are going to, all the things, the seeds that were planted are coming to fruition here. It's 47 minutes long, 46. So these movies might've been chopped a little bit and you could have had one longer film it is what it is. But essentially what you have here is the priest coming in, the cop coming in, a boyfriend looking for a previous victim, all this kind of stuff coming to a head. While um, they're talking about trying to raise the Toy Master In the last movie, the dolls wanted doll hell. And you got to kind of glimpse through this, uh, like this old book where they're showing all these other dolls, like, you know, the Jack in the Box and the Teddy Bear and some other characters like Dr. Death from the Puppet Master Retro. So you got all these glimpses at possibly all these other characters that could have made this world. So it's kind of creating this like extended doll toy, universe which is cool because I mean these characters have kind of crossed paths before some of them have so I kind of like that um, but and then the ending it's kind of a big kind of deal here And there's a really funny reveal about the uh, character from uh, China who's trying to pick up the doll it's, it's really funny I thought that worked really well and there's even a, a, a demonic possession it, it's kind of true in a lot of ways to, to demonic toys and, and in some ways like the possession the demon the trying to raise hell all that stuff and you know there's some CGI effects here and they're okay you you know, what I mean for what it is, you got to think this movie's super low budget. You know, it can't cost too much. But for the most part, again, it's very much like the second one. If you like the second one, you'll like the third one. In fact, all three of these movies will make an easy triple bill because what is it going to be like 3 hours and 20 minutes for all three of them? You can't really beat that. I mean, I imagine the first one's only an hour or two, so you got like two two hours and and 35, 40 minutes. And that's kind of like an extra long baby oopsie movie. Uh, But anyways, it's enjoyable. Um, The characters are goofy. They're full of one-liners, of course. Um, You got to have a cowboy. What's a cowboy going to say? Of course, all the kind of typical cowboy lines that a cowboy character puppet would say. It's there. It's going to be there. So anyways, baby oopsie three, burn, baby burn. These are better than I expected. I'm not going to lie. All three of these have been more entertaining than expected. You know, in the world of four-hour movies that take themselves deadly serious, which I love sometimes, Kind of nice to watch a 45 minute silly movie that's just like you're in and out before you even know if it was good or bad. There we go. And again, the same special features here bringing up baby and original trailer full and trailers as well. So, yeah, there you go. Okay, the next up is from the Lucas Moodinson collection, and this bad boy here, and this one is going to be a hole in my heart. Um, This box set's massive. It has like 10 movies, so we're doing one every week, and this is the thin case that comes in there, and yeah, this was, uh, again, this director keeps surprising me. Like, I had seen uh, Show Me Love before, but this one, um, I, I wasn't too familiar with his other work, and this is 2004 here. And, uh, yeah, this is, is completely different. This is by far the grossest film he ever did. I'll say that. Because, like we said, we had Show Me Love, which is like a cute kind of coming-of-age, like, lesbian love story. Then we had Together, which is like this family drama about all these characters intermingling and stuff like that. Then we went Lila Forever, which was about this uh, Russian uh, per, girl who was forced into prostitution, is really depressing and just bleak. And this one is really kind of, I, I guess you'd say, like, I guess uh, uh, just really do-it-yourself kind of. A cheap like almost disturbing like a lot of the kind of style of movies that were being made at the time and like and it feels i don't want to say this like august underground right And that's not but what we have here is uh, basically four people living in this apartment and we have a father a son a friend and a girlfriend of the friend and the father and the friend basically are having sex with this girl they're doing porno films and uh basically the son is, is lost a hand at a young age the mother and maybe he was born like that actually and the mother's not in the picture anymore So all these characters have these kind of weird outlook on life and these weird kind of look into everything. And it's shot very cheap, very digital. And it's very done in a very experimental kind of strange way. Like you'll have interviews of characters, almost like it's the real world. And they'll be talking about things. And, and sometimes reality will kind of blur where you're like, did that actually happen? What is this in the character's head? Is this what the character wants to say to this character? And they will be holding pictures of themselves as a kid and talking about these things. And I hate, I hate them. So, and like you see that, um, With these inner monologues, you'll see what how they perform and how they act amongst each other, and all of that kind of comes out. There's a a gross, after all, like the kind of weird sex and the weird surgery scenes and stuff like that that they're flashing to, which is disturbing and gross. The most gross to me is the food fight. There's this extensive food fight where they kind of buy all this food to celebrate, and they get really drunk, and they start throwing up and throwing food on each other. And to me, that's like... The grossest thing you can do. It really always bothers me in movies, and it's plentiful here. It's pretty rough stuff, pretty nasty stuff, but hey, it is what it is, um, and there's lots of stuff to be said. You know, the character, the son, he's always kind of being semi-poetic, and he's introverted, so he's always kind of coming up with these things and saying these kind of weird like style, like poems, I guess you'd almost say, and how he interprets the world's completely different. So there's a lot going on in this movie. It's, it's disturbing. It's the most disturbing of the bunch, and I'm just kind of curious where his next films go, you know, because his films have all been completely different. I guess Together and and Show Me Love have the most similarities and that felt like a natural progression. But as we go on, his his films seem to get darker and darker and more twisted. And, you know, like this might make a good... Double feature with, um, I've, uh, what is that movie? Evan's Ecstasy, um, which is a strange film with, um, Danny Hudson. I could see some of that in here too, you know, just kind of the weird style, film techniques and just, uh, the kind of like, I, I that's different in, in a lot of different ways. That's kind of a look into Hollywood, but this one is just strange and bizarre. And I think this, this one would appeal to like kind of the disturbing, like independent, like kind of crowd that likes like the nasty, do it yourself weird films that I'm used to that something like On Earth would put out. But this, is a hole in my heart, which is is kind of strange. Different than I expected. Completely different. Okay, we have another one here. This one is from Severn Films, and this is Attack Force Z. This was originally released in the States by Umbrella, but that was kind of like when they were doing like a, a kind of a, a soft kind of like uh, release in the United States. Now they are with like the uh, Vinegar Syndrome partner label, but this is Attack 4 Z from Severn Films. This is a new release, of course, and the special features on here are the Z Men debriefed interviews with executive producer John McCallan and actors John Waters and Chris Hayward. I've reviewed this a long time ago. That stuff looks like extended stuff from Not Quite Hollywood, is most likely probably what it's from, which is a, a in depth Australian documentary. This starts of course mel gibson very early role for mel gibson very early role for the kiwi sam neill also has john philip law in here which are familiar faces and uh essentially this is a war movie and this is a kind of a strange film this is basically about a uh, special forces team that was supposedly a true team of course and they were kind of like really like the the tough guy diehard kind of special mission stuff and they're sent to this island off the coast of you know the um like I believe uh what is it a Chinese area, not an island necessarily, I think it is an island off the Chinese area in Japan's you know invading these islands, and a plane has gone down and this group of guys you know led by Gibson are out there to um to find uh this the plane, the constant plane, and try to bring it back at all cost no no matter what cost, so essentially, what happens is they're on this this kind of small village, and they need the help of the people, and the war, as Mel Gibson says, has come to your island. I won't say that the Japanese are your enemies or were your friends, but you have to pick a side. And that's kind of what happens here. And also the other major characters are a father and a daughter who are struggling with this whole kind of thing. And the daughter starts a relationship with John Philip Law and all that kind of stuff here. Um, the acting's really solid. You know, Mel Gibson is good. He's athletic. He's a good leader. He has a good, you know, presence about him. It's fucking Mel Gibson, even though it's early. Uh, Sam Neill's always great. I don't think Sam Neill's ever done a poor job in a film, war film, horror film, drama he's always great he's an amazing actor you know from The Possession to In the Mouth of Madness to Jurassic Park Event Horizon you know Sam Neill is the man um, and then we also have of course like I said John Philip Law who's more of like an action kind of style guy in this very straight faced but you know what about uh, Attack Force Z the action's really solid it's not typically um, a war film you get to see in this kind of uh, by the Australian Australians don't make too many of these kind of war films about World War Two that and this kind of style and you don't see that much against the Japanese in the style in the island hopping kind of battles, which is unique and cool, and it's also a special missions thing, you know, a Dirty Dozen man on a mission movie, but taken pretty seriously, and it's dark. You know, characters bite it. Characters die for sure, and um, I, I re-watching this, I didn't remember exactly how it unfolded, but it is kind of feeling like a semi uh, anti-war movie, but the soundtrack is kind of almost like that kind of hurrah, hurrah, so it's kind of like almost, I wouldn't say mixed messages, and I believe from the special features they wanted to dive into more of that anti-war kind of style, but uh, no, all all in all, it's a solid movie. It's a good film. I liked all the characters. I like all the stuff that happens in the movie. I think most people would enjoy this one. It's a good solid war film. And, uh, you know, a lot of the Australian movies, I would say this, you know, I don't connect to every Australian movie like I should. There's a lot of good ones out there like um, Wake and Fright and Turkey uh, Shoot, all those ones I really like, um, and Patrick. But not everything I connect with. This one I, I do enjoy. And a second time watch, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than the first time. And I love the father. He's using throwing knives and all that kind of shit. But, uh yeah. Good baddies too, as well, and uh, some dark stuff. But good, good film. All right, next up is a 2023 release, and I actually got a chance to see this in theaters. And this was directed by it's an actress, uh, Elizabeth Banks, I believe. And this is Cocaine Bear. Yeah, and you know, and you know, me, you're like Dave. Don't you hate those kind of movies? I hate the movies that don't try. I feel, and if I feel like a movie doesn't try, I start to hate it. Now Cocaine Bear I could tell by the budget and all these kind of things. Maybe somebody would say oh that's just heartless. It doesn't seem like it has anything to it. But I could tell that this movie looks like a lot of people were putting effort forth and it has a good cast and it just seems like the kind of movie that maybe they're going to up their game in this kind of style of thing. And I really think it was. Now Cocaine Bear is a comedy first. You know it's a comedy. Maybe action horror thriller. But it's mostly a comedy. It's very silly comedy. Very ridiculous characters. Uh, It's based on a true incident. Okay the incident Is very you know some cocaine fell out of a fucking plane. A guy tried to jump, he died, and a cocaine, a buried a bunch of cocaine and died. That's pretty much it. But this time they're like, well, what if it didn't die? So it's 1985. There's a cocaine dealer. He's throwing the plane. The plane's going down. He ditches the cocaine. He jumps out. He hits his head. He dies. The cocaine gets spread over kind of this national like forest or whatever, uh, nature preserve, whatever it is. And, of course, you know, Ice Cube's kid is in this. He is a drug dealer, and he has to get the main drug dealer's son to help him who's going through a, a loss. His girlfriend died, so he's he's miserable. He's not watching his kid. Ray Liotta's dad the big drug dealer guy and he's watching the kid it's really funny stuff there and those two got to go try to find the cocaine in the forest meanwhile a young girl has kind of taken the day off school ran away from school and took her friend they're going to go paint waterfalls in the forest you have some rangers that are working there as well as a cop who realizes that there's going to be some people looking for the drugs in this forest so they all end up in the forest they all run into the cocaine bear who found the drugs before anyone else really Otis shows up yes it's a and the mother goes looking for her kid Uh, who's the mother Carrie Russell you know what the acting's really fun in this movie all the characters are well established they're quirky they're weird they're bizarre they have funny lines they are do funny things they do ridiculous things there's a group of like kids like these kids that are kind of like these low level criminals that are in the forest that are always causing problems and stuff like that the do doo-wop boy whatever they are but they're absolutely ridiculous they're so silly and weird looking and just bizarre how they act and they're hilarious so all the characters in here i love and they have a great run-in with ice cube in here ice cubes kid I don't remember his name. Sorry about that. I didn't see, um, the, what was it, um, Straight out of Compton. But I So I didn't know how his, I didn't see him in any movies. But he's amazing in this. I loved him. His comic delivery is great. He's really solid. I thought he was amazing. In fact, all the comic timing in here I thought was amazing. Ray Liotta, RIP, amazing actor. But all, all the stuff that happens in here is great. There is an ambulance scene that is wonderful. I thought it was intense and hilarious. And all the beats hit and the music cues and everything. It's just a really fun movie. This is vastly entertaining, and I'm used to seeing you know, those kind of cold, dark horror movies in theaters. Watching Cocaine Bear in theaters was really fun. It was fun to laugh. I cracked up a lot, um, especially one of the bully characters becomes more of a focus point, and he's just really funny, how he talks and how he delivers his lines and everything. He reminds me of a couple people I know in real life. But anyways, Cocaine Bear is a blast. Now, it's not going to be for everybody. you know. I think that the humor works. I think that the special effects work for what they are. You know, There's some CGI, but there's some good gore as well. Just Cocaine Bear is a lot. Lot of fun i think most people who like these kind of thing will really dig it i have no complaints about it um ice cube stole the show for me i think and it kind of like the punk kids the little kids are really great too henry is very funny the little girl and the little boy henry they both have a lot of good one-liners but uh yeah it's gory too so it's just a fun kind of weird bizarre film would highly recommend this one if it's up your alley if it sounds like something you dig Okay, now this one here is from 1977, it's directed by Ken Wiederhorn, who also directed Eyes of a Stranger and Return of the Link Dead Part 2, which I have covered on here, and this is Shockwaves. And for years, people always said this, the best of the Nazi zombie movies. It's right on the cover before Dead Snow came out. And, you know, I I love Dead Snow when it came out. But you know what? Rewatching this. I always thought when I was a kid, I saw this movie. It was a PG. I was, like, always very excited about the zombies, the Nazi zombies coming out of the water. I remember seeing the trailer. I thought the imagery was really great. But rewatching this. Now, sorry, Dead Snow. I think that Shockwaves is still the best Nazi zombie movie. Maybe Dead Snow 2. I don't know. I have to rewatch watch all those. But this time, it really connected with me. I always liked it, or had a fondness for it, or had an appreciation for it, I should say. But this time, popping it in, having the electronic musical score, the kind of weird synthesizer stuff, I was like, this works really well. Opening up with a narration by Brooke Adams, who is really kind of an underrated scream queen, when you think about it. Brooke Adams is in Unborn, The Dead Zone, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 78, and Shockwaves. She's had a good career And she's always really good. She's got a great, unique look about her. Always enjoyed how she looked at her acting performances. Forgot she was in this. She's really great. Um, And this is a Florida-based horror film, again. Um, So basically, here, like, Brooke Adams, of course, is in this. And I just was impressed with the opening narration. It reminded me of Messiah of Evil, how the character, you know, one character kind of survives, and they're on the boat, and they say, I don't know how I got here. And it creates this haunting tone. Well, the one I talked about recently was the house that... um, no, and the screaming starts, with is the Amicus movie. It starts with that narration, which I love. If you have a female survivor talking about what ordeal happened to her, and she's in sh- like shambles, and she's like, "It was the scariest time I've ever been. I couldn't believe, and my life would never be this." And like, that's just like. I eat that shit up. I love it. I know it spoils it there's one survivor or something like that, but it just, I eat it up. It just sets the mood. It's like Lovecraftian to me. I love it. I love it. In Messiah of Evil. I love it in Shockwaves. I liked it in that, uh, and the screaming starts. So also this movie has Peter Cushing. How can you go wrong with Peter Cushing as an ex-Nazi, the Nazi bastard, and it has John Carradine. And you know what i got to say? I love both those guys. John Carradine does excellent in this movie. He is a captain of a boat, and he's basically doing this charter boat, him, and there's a young crew member, and there's a cook, and then they have four people on the boat, or five. I think it's four. Four people on the boat. And essentially, it's two pairs, uh, you know, two couples. One in Brooke Adams and her husband, and one in uh, this kind of nerdy guy and his wife. And and uh, basically, this I wouldn't say nerdy, but kind of nervous, kind of always like high, um, you know, uh, anxiety uh, guy. And basically, they have this small boat and Carradine, There's this weird thing that happens that kind of sets them off. They find this like wreckage of this ship, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And everybody's paranoid. This is a PG movie too. They go for more classy kind of horror, scary scares instead of different things, which is crazy because all three Ken Whedon it's kind of horror oriented stuff you know maybe Dark Towers one too I've not seen horror but it's like a weird kind of half directed by him or not but his horror films are all completely different styles and everything like that so and two zombie films and they're completely different so essentially um, Carradine is just like it's just what happens and Carradine's got that wonderful voice he's really good in this and he just he. I feel like he wanted to play a, a boat captain so like he really dies into the role and he's got great scenes and great moments but so anyways they end up like getting stranded because they wake up in the morning Morning and they hit like a reef or they hit that boat underneath and they're stranded there. They can't get the boat moving. So they wake up in the morning and Carradine's gone. They don't know what the fuck's going on. So they decide to go to the Island and they kind of realize some stuff that's going on and they have this lifeboat that has like a a glass underneath, you know, kind of the charter boats that would show you stuff. And so you see cool shit underneath the boat sometimes, you know, and they get to this Island and they're just, they find this abandoned house and Cushing's there. And he starts to kind of explain to them. He's like, you guys, you have to leave no matter what. And before long, they reveal that, um, there's been these experiments during World War II and they basically, the death corps, and they made all these Nazis special ways to be able to go over any terrain they want. So they're like these kind of like half, they, this original title is Almost Human, which is a great title, and that's also the name of an Umberto Lenzi Polizio, that's a Eurocrime film, which is great too with Tomas Milan. But this is different, you know, so basically these Nazis were almost human at one point. So that's a great line uh, in the film, and they can hold their breasts and go underwater. So you have all these zombies, these Nazi zombies popping up with goggles and just attack People pulling them into the water and drowning them, and as as like cheesy as some of the deaths are, or it's not cheesy, but just as they're very effective, you know, being pulled under the water and then the stillness comes in with that score. Um, they set up some genuinely really creepy scenes and scares, and it's just terrifying. While these Nazi zombies pick off all the characters they can, um, a great movie, a great little horror film that I think it's, it's scary, it's genuinely scary over gory, over sleazy, over cheesy, and everything works, you know. Um, the cover here would suggest that's a little bit more sleazy than one would expect. These bikini girls on here and there. I I remember the cover always drew my attention to it. And I think I ran it as a kid and it was just a little too dull for me at age like 7 or 8. And I came back to it as like a 17, 18 year old and I enjoyed it. And this time coming back to it as a 36 year old. I I really loved it. So I mean, your tastes do develop and change and everything like that. But great. Scary. It's not wrong. As far as the special features are concerned, we have audio commentary with Ken Wiederhorn. Makeup uh, designer Alan Ormsby who I love. Uh, Alan Ormsby of course uh, worked on all the Bob Clark stuff. And Phil filmmaker Fred and ray uh florida filmmaker himself it's cool too that this one has the florida feel but it also has a colder feel to it even though it's not supposed to be cold because that you know the movie it has like kind of a degraded quality it looks it looks like it's been the film print was maybe low budget or just beat the shit out of nazi zombies on a bridge interview with cinematographer ruben train notes from the undead Interview with composer richard enghorn who did a bunch of stuff soul survivor interview with star brooke adams i liked her talking about this from flipper to shockwaves interview with star luke Halpin and theatrical trailer tv spot radio spots poster and still gallery great movie from blue underground looks great on blu-ray sounds great although it does seem to have maybe some budget constraints originally was made on the stock of film it's just but it gives it a nice look too all right we're gonna get into these 1981 movies um, the first up is another Ken Wiederhorn movie, that's right, from 1981, and this is Eyes of a Stranger. Now this is kind of a unique film, it's again shot in Florida, Miami area, and originally this was supposed to be more of a, a straight up thriller when it was written, and then like with 80, 80 coming out and stuff, it's supposed to be released in 80, but we have like big hits like Friday 13th and kind of more of that slasher oriented stuff, Terror Train, Prom Night, and 81 was huge and they did some reshoots for this, called in Tom Savini, Tom Savini's doing amazing special effects on here um, but they're not not—they're a little less than you would expect but they're there. So you have Savini in here doing effects um, and, and it became more of a slasher film. It added this element of sleaze and I don't know if the sleaze was always there but this movie has that layer of 1981 sleaze and trashy quality about it. But it's also a really well made thriller in the vein of Rear Window. It's very much a rear window, right? Um, but it's different. It's not exactly I spotted something and I'm starting to think that they are, there's a murderer but it is that fact that i seen this guy do weird shit in this apartment complex that I'm at. He's across the way, and I'm starting to suspect him. But it becomes this guy is actually a little bit more dangerous than that. He's not just Raymond Burr who did one thing. You know, and this the killer in here is based off Raymond Burr it's not like a spoiler who it is but the killer is more of a um, Nicholas Worth type you know from Don't Answer the Phone that he goes out and he kills and kills and kills you know and it's something that he's doing but uh, yeah this one is really solid the lead in here I can't think of what she's uh, she was from Love Boat Lauren Teenies she's an actress I don't know I didn't watch Love Boat I know what it is but this is a film debut or early role from Jennifer Jason Lee she's like 18 in here and Jennifer Jason Lee plays somebody who suffers you know from she's a deaf and mute and she suffers because of trauma, and she's the younger sister of our lead character here. Our lead character is a newscaster, so when she starts figuring out these women have been murdered and killed, and like in her area, she starts to hyper focus on it. And when she starts to figure out that this person may be in her apartment complex, she starts to double down on it. And then some of the stuff in here reminds me of the first Deadly Sin with uh, Frank Sinatra and and small role by Joe Spinell in that, where he's going in the apartment and looking around and shit. Or Too Scared to Scream, which is from '85 with um, geez, who is that actor? Ian McShane. But this one, I feel is kind of like Rear Window. We've seen the horror movie kind of take the Rear Window story many of times, from Fright Night, Abominable, uh, Disturbia. Um, All these movies have that Rear Window quality, right? Um, I saw something fucking weird, and I shouldn't have seen it, and now it's going to drive me crazy. There's a great Tales in the Crypt episode like that, too, where the girl sees something and she loses her voice, and she ends up in the insane asylum, and the doctor is the killer! Oh, I spoiled that Tales in the Crypt episode. But hey, um, that one's really good. But, you know, it's a typical kind of story here, but what I, I enjoyed about it is the kills are disturbing. You know, in the very opening, there's a a good kill where a character's... the boyfriend's head is lopped in a fish tank, and I immediately thought he knows you're alone from the previous year, 80. And, like, the characters are killed. There's, like... It's a a violent rapist, and the killer is super creepy. He's super bizarre. He's got a great look about him, and he's got this demeanor with the glasses, and he just he seems like a salary man or something like a business guy. And he's just kind of mundane in a lot of ways, but he's also the killer. And uh, there's good cat and mouse when the character, you know, the newscaster figures out who the killer is and starts to fuck with him. Um, It's not quite as good as Raymond Burr in Rear Window. He's that's an amazing performance, but he's good. He's really good. Everybody's really good in this. And Jennifer Jason Lee is ma and and like, she's always great. But that scene when at the end, when she has to kind of face off, is just disturbing. Like I, I, there's a lot of things that this place goes is that I didn't expect. That goes. It goes to places I didn't really expect it to get as sleazy or as dirty. Um, and there's a commentary by Amanda Reyes on here. Uh, film critic Justin Kurzweil and film historian Amanda Reyes, and they do a fucking amazing job. They, that commentary is great. Um, you know, Amanda Reyes knows everything about TV horror and TV movies, and she talks all about this kind of stuff. And uh, both of them kind of are. are Huge uh, slasher fans, it seems, and they talk a lot about the career and how uh, Amanda Reyes really goes to bat for this movie and says this movie's doing a little bit more than a lot of people would guess. You know, it's not necessarily your cheap kind of run-of-the-mill garbage slasher film. That's she doesn't feel that way about slasher but she's saying that they would call this. You know, it has. It's kind of a movie that's uh, many different things, and that's kind of why it probably never really found the success it should have. Um, this is a Warner Brothers film. She mentions that Warner Brothers tried to pick this bad boy up because the success of Paramount had with a. Friday movies. She also mentions that you know Warner Brothers actually distributed Friday overseas in all the different places, which I didn't know. So you learn something new from these commentaries every time, which is awesome. Also, besides that commentary, there's an interview, um, audio interview with composer Richard Einhorn, who did the score for Shockwaves, which they watch on television here, and actor uh, Peter Dupree turning the tables interview with director Ken Wiederhorn, Sunshine State Stalker interview with actor John DeSanti, and then there's also an interview with uh, Savini, and they both kind of talk about kind of and Dean Gates, but Savini and uh, DeSanti, the actor, talk about some problems they had on set at the end, special effect, which is a really good effect. But anyways, really good movie. Uh, I had seen this. I had seen this years ago, did not remember anything, and it was better than I remembered. Eyes of a Stranger, good stuff. Uh, Enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, And also we have that whole thing here with a mute kind of deaf character. There's so many movies like that, which is kind of a trope in horror films. But hey, it works, right? Okay, next up is from 1981 as well, and this is by Oliver Stone. This is the first time watch. You know, I never had seen this one. This is The Hand, starring Michael Caine, uh, Bruce McGill. Who else is in here? Um, uh, Andrea Markovich. Um, and yeah, so this one I had never seen. I always, you know, the lost appendage killer kind of movie, the severed arm body parts. There's a lot of these, um, body, uh, bags. There's, there's always weird appendages doing, doing bad things. Idle hands. Yeah. I I like these kind of movies. So here we go. The hand, uh, stars Michael Caine. This is almost nearly two hours long. I think it's based off a novel. That's according to Oliver Stone. Uh, so basically, uh, Michael Caine is, he draws comic strips. And he's having some turmoil with his wife and they're driving and there's a car accident and it knocks his hand completely off. His hand is severed. They never find the hand. Obviously, this is going to bother him. He does comic strips and... Pretty soon, you know, they start to talk about kind of taking the the comic strip he draws, you know, away from him. And, you know, the character in this comic strip is kind of like a Conan-style guy. He just very much doesn't think about his feelings. He's not introspective. He's just very brash and abrasive and just follows his instincts. And you kind of get the idea that Michael Caine is somebody who doesn't, who has this deep kind of darkness within him. And the hand, of course, it's still moving. It's still alive. It's still out there. It's going to carry out. Michael Caine's deepest, darkest desires, His the people that cross him, the people that upset him, the things that he wants to do, these dark kind of feelings, this yin and yang, the hand's going to be the bad part of that. So that's kind of what happens here, but there's always these scenes where we cut to the hand or we cut to flashes of Michael Caine's darkness, like this black and white kind of dream sequence where he blacks out it kind of gray out, I guess which you say in the film, and you see these little flashes of what he's carrying out, what he's doing. But basically what he is doing is kind of more so like the hand's point of view and all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty cool actually. Bruce McGill is great in this. Um, Bruce McGill is in a million movies. He's in one of my favorite Tales in the Crypt episode I'm blue. Diploma, blow me. Um, he's also in you know Cliffhanger, um, Animal House. He's in a million big movies too. Michael Caine's a fantastic actor. He's always great. And uh, you know he did a horror movie the year before in The Island. He's doing The Hand, and you know he did. He's no stranger to horror films. The guy's done 190 fucking movies. He's almost 100 years old. So in fact, and by the time this comes out, it'll be Michael Caine's birthday. I think probably 20, March 14th or something like that. Happy birthday, Michael Caine. Happy 90th, or he'll be a hundred 90th. 90th. 90th birthday? I don't know. He's old, man. He's old. But he's great. Uh, yeah, and in fact, the acting's all really good in this. The score's really good. The look of it's really good. This is just a really solid horror film for me. No complaints. And, you know, it kind of gets into the psychological game for sure. And, like, there's a big exposition dump by Bruce McGill. But it works really well. You know, he's a psychologist. He says, you know, you black out. Maybe you're following these kind of subconscious desires, which is always kind of a thing that they would have. But anyways, The Hand is really solid 1981 horror film. I'm glad I got to watch it. There's an interview with Oliver Stone on here. Um, producer Edward Pressman And actors Aunt Andrea Markovich Annie uh, McEnroe And Bruce McGill Audio commentary with Oliver Stone as well So this originally came in the Twisted Terror's box set Remember the six films from Warner Brothers That also, I'm looking at it right now. Doctor Giggles, someone's watching over me from beyond the grave. Deadly friend and eyes of a stranger. So that's crazy that a bunch of these have all been re-released on Blu-ray. I think all of them have been Screen Factory except from uh, Beyond the Grave, which is a Warner Archive. Doctor Giggles is getting a reissue this month, I believe. And there was an old Blu-ray, but it's long out of print. So you can finally, you know, retire that box set because all of them have gotten reissues. I'll probably. Upgrade my Dr. Giggles Blu-ray when that comes Out you know I haven't seen Dr. Giggles in years But anyways you know Warner Brothers had some Cool films from uh, from 81 this is Also a Warner as, as well as Eyes Of a Stranger which I think was a pickup but Anyways this feels like a really solid movie it's, it's Oliver Stone's second film after Seizure Oliver Stone would go on to do so many Great films in the platoon and Natural Born Killers Born on the 4th of July he's done A lot of films okay U-Turn Oliver Stone's a very busy man it's, it's nice to see An interview with Oliver Stone on here maybe he didn't get to talk About this too much but he talks a little bit about his career And how he got started Bruce McGill talks about that exposition dump He says, you know, if you could make an exposition dump Entertaining or or good Then you're doing a great job And he even mentions bringing up, you know You gotta do that with everything, though Telling a ghost story to kids So, you know, it is what it is But Bruce McGill's a great actor He's always great Uh, Michael Caine is great And this is a good film And also, hell How can I mention The Island from 1980 And not mention fucking Dress to Kill Which is more a line of a character That he plays in uh, The Hand So, uh, love Michael Caine in this It's a great film Good stuff Okay, next up from 1981 is The Queen of Black Magic, which was remade or sequelized kind of a, a couple years ago, maybe a year ago. And this is an Indonesian flick. I never got to see the original. They put 79 on here, but I think it was released in 81. Uh, maybe it was made in 79. But I had never actually got to see um, The Queen of Black Magic until now. This is a first-time watch. Mondo um, Macabro, great company. So um, this there is an HD print of this floating around. You can watch it on uh, Shudder, and you can find other sources I don't know if there's a Blu-ray overseas or not but yeah you know I've seen a handful of Indonesian films there's a lot of these kind of revenge movies you know I've seen a couple for 1970 1980 these kind of you know South like Asian films uh, but anyways I really enjoyed this one this one's great and I like the new ones too I love like Satan's Slaves and all that kind of stuff I've eaten right up I, I've been following Gore, all that stuff I loved and the remake of Queen of Black Magic is great too so that's kind of South Asian I believe it's South Asian films I've really kind of enjoyed the, the kind of run on these and Queen of Black magic was really nice to see the the you know the beginning the first one of these not first one of these but first one of that so essentially what we have here is this woman who she basically is in love with this guy this guy sleeps with her and then leaves her Um, this guy is getting married he's kind of a no timing two timing kind of piece of shit nobody you know he has respect in the village but a lot of the women obviously people do not care for him so this girl is devastated by it she's heartbroken because he's going on he's going to marry I think this noble kind of woman who's like the daughter of like a chief of the village and basically what happens is she starts the wife becomes cursed with something. Something is completely wrong. Um, All these strange things they're haunted start happening. This guy is ungodly upset about it. He blames the woman that he did wrong for cursing him. So him and the villagers go to her house. They beat her. They throw her down a hill and leave her for dead. They burn down her house with her mother in it. All sorts of awful things. And kind of like a lot of these kind of revenge films she's found. Like an avenged or or what is it you know. She's basically found by this, this guy. This this kind of magic kind of carrying out guy, and he nurses her back to health, and he tells her all these things, and he teaches her the magic, you know. And he says, "Well, if they're telling you you're a witch or you're you know practicing black magic, why not do it?" So basically, she starts to practice, and she becomes the queen. Of black magic. Now what she starts to do is she starts to pick off all the villagers that did her wrong. And in crazy ways. They're drowning, their heads are exploding, they're getting sick. You know, all sorts of weird, wild ways that I really enjoyed. Almost a supernatural slasher kind of sense. But uh, maybe she's being led around. And this is what happens when a new character comes into town and he's a religious man and they start to hit it off because he doesn't know her identity. She starts to fall in love and all these kind of things. But it's going to come to a head, of course, you know, because because this guy who's like teaching her the magic doesn't like this guy and there's also ulterior motives and all these reveals that are going to happen but i really enjoyed this the special effects are great the plot is pretty solid good stuff enjoyed the queen of black magic quite a bit i'm glad i wish mondo would put this on blu-ray i would definitely uh upgrade but uh, anyways this is a great film from 1981 really cool flavor for 1981 to add all these different elements like i said we have a south korean one earlier that i covered you know hong kong already i've covered um i believe i've covered some italian some American American. american slasher there's a slew of different stuff it's not just 1981 it's not just slasher films there's crazy supernatural movies going all over the place all over the world and we're going to cover a bunch of them but the queen of black magic great film good stuff good place to start too on the indonesian horror movies if you haven't seen many Next up is, I believe, an Egyptian American co-production, and I always for years thought this bad boy was an a, a Italian film, because it has a lot of the similarities to an Italian film, and this is 1981, Dawn of the Mummy. Now, this movie's never really had a great release. I think there is uncut versions floating, maybe, like, but it, it's in full screen, I believe, I think there's a UK release. I think this one might have made the video nasties, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember, but Dawn of the Mummy. So, I don't know if I've ever saw the full movie. This is, like, one that I always would put on, and I never it. I have a bootleg sitting here no no need to get out the bootleg there's no point it's just a boot why buy boots um, unless there's absolutely no other way for you to see it or you just want the quality you know I understand why to a certain point to have the hard format copy but if you can have the same print online I mean, come on. Um, So, basically, Dawn of the Mummy. It's an Egyptian-American co-production. And it's kind of typical in a lot of ways, but it does feel like a really cheapy Italian movie. More of like a late 80s Italian movie than an early 80s Italian movie, because in 81, they were banging. So, uh, maybe not all of them, but most of them were banging. Burial Ground, Beyond, all sorts of good stuff there. So... Basically, we have a group of criminals that want to break into this Egyptian mine, and they're looking for gold. It's so funny that they find they get in, and you know, of course, there's a curse on it. It's a mummy movie. There's a curse on the fucking uh, the tomb, of course. They break in, and they're like, "This stuff is worthless." And it's all this like priceless ancient antique shit. And they're like, "This is garbage stuff. We want the gold." you are just like, "Fuck, shot of that stuff. is worth gold. You can sell that and get your own gold." But you know, at the time, a lot of people just raided these tombs, and no one gave a shit—archaeologists and criminals, all this kind of shit. So these three kind of goons are in there and there's also a private guy who's paying for everything and over time like uh, they don't really find anything right away a couple people do end up dead in gross kind of ways um, because there was a gas in there that they blew up so um, this is really stupid I can't believe this is the plot but there's a group of people out there basically shooting a model like they're doing a model shoot like five or six of these like photographers and models and everything and they see like they're over there they can't find good shots and they're like what's that and they go over to the criminals and they're like we want to shoot in the Egyptian tomb um, and they're like, fuck, we don't, they don't want to blow their cover and show that there's goals as so they let them do it, but they're trying to sabotage them. Of course, at this point, the mummy starts to come out and, uh, the mummy starts to pick off people here and there. It drowns a girl swimming. There's some nudity in here as well. Um, there's some nasty gore actually, but the prints always look like shit. So it's really hard to tell how good gory it actually is and how effective and well shot the movie is as well but the end actually has a climax because the mummy raises the dead in the area and we kind of have a full blown zombie film where zombies and mummies are kind of walking around ripping apart this party which is really cool and it's the best part of the film right and it, it, it's cheap though it's goofy the characters are over the top I would like to see a good print of Dawn of the Mummy to be honest I think it could do with this one wonders I don't I'm not saying it's going to be a four out of five or something like that but maybe it can bump the fucker up to a three maybe a, a six and a half out of ten because right now I mean the quality and the, the everything that's going on it's like what the fuck is going on I I mean the quality's never been great on it and the gore and just like a lot of context i'd really like you know a special edition of this one i would buy immediately i'd love to see vinegar syndrome or arrow put it out but i don't know if there's lost elements or there's distribution problems or maybe they just don't think it's going to sell well is dawn of the mummy obviously dawn of the dead success they're like well we got a uh, dawn of the mummy and like it goes on that there's some mummy movies that really like the last 20 minutes are amazing on this but nothing else really happens all that much it's kind of a little boring and tedious i love the egyptian look and everything like that but it just doesn't really work Work 100%. I'm going to be honest. I mean, those, mummy movies are hard to do. Um, I think mummy movies have the most duds per subgenre. I mean, I love Mummy's Revenge with uh, Paul Naschy and the classic Mummy movies. They're okay. Even one of the Hammer, the original Hamm- Mummer Hammy, Mummer, <laughs> Hammer, Mummer, Mummer Hammy, Hammer Mummy is pretty cool. But um, some of the other sequels to those aren't very good either. But I, I like, I I don't like the second one. I like Mummy Shroud. So it's like a mixed bag, right? And I remember watching all the classic Universals as a kid. Mummies are a mixed bag, baby. More fun than a barrel of mummies, isn't that the creep show tagline? But anyways, uh. I think mummies are great in small doses, waxwork, monster squad, but a whole mummy movie. That's a whole lot of mummy. Uh, Anyways, uh, yeah, Dawn of the Mummy. Okay, next up is the Patreon pick. And I can't remember who picked this. This feels like a John Wilhelm, but I'm not 100%. This is Martial Law. This is a Vinegar Syndrome release. This actually has both. I watched the first one in here. And this has got Chad McQueen and uh, Cynthia Rothrock. Who else is in here? David fucking Carradine, of course, is in this movie. Um, And it's got uh, the kid, uh, the guy, the boxer from... uh, That's right, that's my boxer from Friday 13th Part 8. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan, the one who tries to box Jason. He's terrible in this movie. He's not in the same movie as everyone else. Like he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm doing the worst impression of the bad guy from RoboCop, the guy who's like, she was sweet, uh, Joe Cox or whatever. He's doing the worst impression of him. But times ten. And he's not in the same movie. So basically, what we have here, At the very beginning of this movie, I laugh for like five minutes. Like there's a group of like uh, bank robbers who are basically just stuntmen. You could tell their build and the way they're standing and the way they're acting. They're just like. And basically they're robbing this bank and they're like, what do you guys want? And the chief's like, they're like, they want two pizzas and like enter Chad McQueen, right? Steve McQueen's son. He's an action star. Isn't he in the Fred Olin Ray with the the baby, the killer mutant telekinetic baby thing. He's in a handful of like low rent movies and he's not bad. He's not a bad actor really, to be honest, you know what you think, but he walks in and he's like, he's like 35 in it. And he's like, what's up guys. And they're like "Send in the kid. Like they're sending in. Like, he's like, like he gets there and he's delivering the pizza and he's like, He's like, what do you want, kid? Send in the kid. He's like, it's fucking Chad McQueen. In no world was Chad McQueen ever a kid. He's like, he's like, looks like he just drank like a 12 pack and then showed up. But he ends up going in there and you know, it's exactly what it's going to be. You know, like Seventh Curse. Remember the opening of Seventh Curse where the, like the criminals like, we want to send in a reporter, but it's a just cops and they whoop ass. That's what happens here. And it's a very, very obvious thing to do. We've seen it in a million movies, right? So basically Chad McQueen goes in, he whoops ass, he whoops these criminals ass and he leaves. And of course, uh, it's, it's fun entertaining scene. Um, Jam McQueen is a cop. Cynthia Rothrock is a cop as well, kind of like they're dating, but they also want to be partners. They end up partners undercover on this thing. David Carradine is an evil crime boss. There's a couple other familiar faces in here as well. But essentially, what happens is Chad McQueen's younger brother has been getting involved in criminal activity and he's sticking his neck out for him, but he gets directly involved with this huge kind of crime boss and David Carradine, who's fun in it. David Carradine's fun in it. I wouldn't say a lot of people like he always sleepwalks, but you know, he's solid in it. He's kind of the quiet, you know, mean kind of spirited villain who doesn't give a shit. He's very unemotional he does that well, does it good here too of course, so essentially what happens is you know, Chad McQueen's trying to figure out what's going on with his brother, he gets directly involved with the criminals, some people end up dead and there's just kind of some big shootouts at the end there's some big action sequences um, geez, uh, Professor Harold Sakata, it's not Harold Sakata fucking what, Sakata, Harold Sakata is odd job, what the fuck is the Professor from Running Man's name, Professor I can't think of his name, I always forget his name, um, but you know, he's in a. He's in uh, the Running Man, he plays Sub Zero. He's in this. He's got a fun role. He's also in Darkman. He plays like a henchman to this other guy. But you know, David Carradine is a guy who steals cars for people and sells them. You know, and there's a big like action set piece at the end of the movie. Chad McQueen, you know what? as far as I could tell, the martial arts weren't bad from them. I thought they were pretty decent. Cynthia Rothrock gets to whoop some ass. That's pretty fun. Doesn't get to fight David Carradine, which is unfortunate, but uh, it looks good. It sounds good. I enjoyed this movie. It's fun. It's fun 90s action crap in the best kind of way. You know, it's like one of those ones you rent and you watch like five or six of these in a the day and all of a sudden you're like practicing martial arts in your room and you're wanting to do a kumite. But uh, as far as the special features are concerned, we have Declaring Martial Law, The Birth of the Female Action Star, a feature at Focus on Martial Law with director Steve Cohen, actor Cynthia rothrock and stunt corner uh, stunt coordinator jeff pruitt under the law how to, how a hit became a franchise a featurette focus on martial law undercover with producer steve cohen actress Cynthia rothrock and fight choreographer jeff pruitt silent outtake uh scenes for martial law so yeah that's what we got here anyways uh it's just fun like read the back of it martial law Sean Thompson Chad McQueen is a tough as nails martial arts master L.A. street cop with an appropriate nickname of martial law after a body is discovered bearing telltale signs of dimmock or death touch Sean and his female partner Billy Blake Cynthia Rock will take on a case which soon leads to the ruthless crime Lord Dalton Rhodes David Carradine whose kung fu fighting band of thugs is preparing to unleash bloody mayhem on the city all the while unknown to Sean his younger brother Michael has become one of Dalton's henchmen oh shit it's entertaining it's exactly what you expect expect it to be but you've seen much worse and you've enjoyed much worse than this i it looked good it sounded good entertaining very fun good baddies a lot of stunt guys acting in here i imagine <laughs> but anyways that's martial law all right let's get these questions comments concerns travis linscombe hey dave i love that you're going to go through the years on your own i think you do it so thoroughly and put the history into perspective in a unique way so it's definitely a strength of your channel i'm wondering are you going to do the one they draw on 22 shots next will there be going through the year they draw at the same time as 81 i don't know um I, I i think and i probably will i don't know how hardcore i'll go it's like the 2000s which is my least favorite time depends the year um but i'll be going through it at the same time which would be crazy which will not be pleasant for me probably christopher muller bubba didn't do nothing remember watching that on tv in my childhood good movie mr Parker. respect he's talking dark Knight, of scarecrow classic movie film wolf hey dave death promise what a gem the guy's just screaming as they fight in corporate boardroom uh, that one guy was great with a mustache. Um, so good. Fulci pu- pulls a trifecta in 1981 with the Black Cat, The Beyonded House by the Cemetery, Lindsay drops Cannibal Ferox, and Peter Bark is unleashed within burial ground. A great year for Italian horror. The Burning is my favorite standalone slasher. Sack had Jason, Rocks, and Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. The Fun House, Evil Dead, The Howling, all fantastic. Milo, one six nine. Great to hear that you continue your deep dive in '81. Does that mean we get some more of those horror 1981 discussion videos? I love the ones you did for 1980. I have to admit that I have. Ne- he gives his top ten list which which I'm I'm not going to read everyone's top 10 list. I got the master list here that everybody's combination of what they have. I have to admit that I've never seen possession, but I feel that I, I could definitely make my, it could definitely make my list. Um, yeah, there's going to be definitely be 1981 discussions. There'll be Troy Haworth will be back art editor, Bruce Holcheck. Um, I'm sure that Duncan McLeish will come back too. I got to ask Duncan and some other people as well, James L Edwards. And also like if there's anybody that you've seen on the channel or anybody that you know, I know, or you think would be great on the channel for that. I'd love to have some new people come on and discuss some movies too for 1981. Um, and then Kentucky, Kentuckinator, why we may not have made wait, we may not have great made for TV movies like Darnadius Scarecrow, or Salem's Lot, but now we get to enjoy made for to movies. Like what was those one, those like bad like Freddy ripoff ones I saw recently on there. They look hilarious. Nick Moa, happy that you are giving us some homework again, sir. Working keeps us honest. Also, eighty one is an excellent year for horror, and like a fine wine eighties horror gets better with age, wouldn't you agree? Um basically I'm only Um, listing his movies because he gave little things after each. So, American Warfare in London, he's in order here at one down to ten. Howl at the Moon, All You Will, this one's numero uno. The Evil Dead, Join Us, Loving This Gem. Ghost Story, Fred Astaire is a horror movie, Enough Said. Possession, a mad trip I love taking again and again and you know where I'm going with this. The Fun House, definitely by Toby Hooper. Um, Mr. Spielberg had nothing to do with this one, right? The Burning Watching, this taught me not to set fire to creepy camp counselors. How about you, Dave? He was a handyman. You, yeah don't set fire to nobody halloween 2 not the best is never ending franchise but far from the worst eight road games exploitation at its finest doesn't love jamie Lee curtis is not and doesn't love jamie Lee curtis not fighting michael myers and who doesn't i guess he's saying hell Knight, two scuzzy psychos for the price of one spoiler final exam yeah i've seen hell Knight a few times but final exam not least but the last on my list fun memories of watching this one on a beat up old tv set questions what's your favorite world war ii horror film that's a good one um I really don't have one off the top of my head. Like I, I thought, um, but I just don't know. Like it would have to be one of the Nazi zombie movies. Like I guess Dead Snow count. Does Dead Snow two count or Shockwaves? I mean, there's Nazi zombies in there, but does it count? I know there's got to be one that I really love that I just can't put my finger on. So maybe I'll have to get back to you. Which monster fits the World War II era the best? Vampires, werewolves, something else? Operation Werewolf is an actual Second World War two battle plan, apparently. Um, you could do anything. I mean, World War two is a huge fucking war. You could have a vampire in the background uh, picking off people you could have a group of werewolves that are Nazis that kill that hunt jews you could do anything you could have a zombie outbreak on the world war Two. world war ii such a broad crazy part of history that any monster would be great you could make a frankenstein frankenstein's army you could make a frankenstein monster in world war Two with the body parts like reanimator was they were in war and that's how in the, the original book you know you get a glimpse of that in brad Animator. reanimator so during war you can have any monster anywhere it's such an awful place that it breeds horror it breeds monsters uh i found one of your old reviews for evolution featuring james duvall i actually enjoyed this low budget title zombie shocker it seems you did too yeah i did then it's been a long time till next week i hope they make another decent zombie movie soon you can't watch dawn of the dead on repeat for all time right or can you sir you can't and you should. Horseball, man, I had no idea about the Korean remake. Def will check it out. Great stuff as always, man. Thank you, Horseball. Check out his channel, by the way. Great guy. Uzi Suicide six six six. Dave, you always do the best work with the highest passion for cinema. Thank you, uh, Martin VP. Uh, thanks for another great episode. Thank you, Hudson. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. Forever trying to save Private Ryan. Uh, MyTube, love the 1981 idea. A couple of 1981 Asian flicks that might not pop up, but are certainly worth seeing. Our Corpse Mania, on Shaw Brothers, on F'd Up. Uh, movies for free good print i had the dvd myself uh it's a whodunit about a killer necrophilic attacking woman at a brothel sounds like shaw it is by the director Boxer and hex the other is a korean horror movie called suddenly in the dark it's free on Tubi. both are mid-sixes on the internet movie database thank you for the information i think i've done suddenly in the dark on here 1981 so many good films i would rate them all differently depending on the day i made the list my lowest rated for this year was frankenstein's island thanks for your time great content as always the best movie in history The best year in movie history... Um... In no particular order. One, Nightmare on a Damaged Brain. And I only mentioned this one. He says they filmed part of the movie 15 Minutes from Where I Live. At the time, Merritt Island, Florida. Plenty of mango farms. Ken Coakley. I want to give a RIP to Lance Kerwin, who co-starred in Salem's Lot. He passed away in late January at the age of 61. I just found out yesterday that he made me think about other genre actors or crew members don't get any publicity when they pass. RIP. It was disappointing to find out because I was hoping to see him in a show. Anyways, RIP Lance Kerwin. Thanks for the memorable performance in Salem's Lot. Tim Hayes. Is the 88 films Blu-ray of Nightmares in a Damaged Brain region locked? I heard it is, but often most 88 films Blu-rays aren't. I believe that one is. I'm not 100%, but I think it's listed as being region locked and also tim hayes goes on dark Knight of the scarecrow is a fun made for tv horror film i still haven't watched nightmare Nineteen One, but guessing it might be getting a new release soon since vinegar syndrome just released romano scalvini's other film dog tags on blu-ray that sounds like a that sounds like a good sign massacre video is originally going to release both films as a double feature blu-ray i'd rather have Nightmare slash nightmares and damage rain on a disc of its own melissa sue anderson was more of a tv actress she was known for a movie more for tv's little house on the prairie but she married a tv show writer and i think they both moved to canada don't think she acts anymore since she raised a family but i remember she came out of retirement to promote an anchor bay dvd release she was great in this one made for tv horror film called midnight offerings in 1981 playing a teenage girl who was a witch who battled this other teenage witch in high school i have that on my master list to watch so i will watch it for one. melissa played an evil one while this other actress played the good one i remember it was shown on the usa network in the late 80s early 90s on sunday night afternoon years after it premiered on abc it looks like she also was in shaft okay cool 73 so here i made the master list, um... Of everybody who contributed to the 1981 top 10 and then I added so your number 10 your number one got 10 points your number 10 got one point added that all up and then I added I made a list of all the movies in order of how many points and then I made a list of what movies appeared on list does that make sense like so if a movie appeared on 25 list or whatever it's number one and then 23 list would be two so here we go Um, I had 29 contributors um, that I want to thank all of them Ken Coakley Milo 169 Nick Mua dot Debasser, this is also I asked on Facebook Uzi uh, Suicide 666, Hudson two Martin VP, Salvador Funkenstein, Corey Waters, Zachary Puccinelli, Bill Rodriguez, jo- uh, Jonathan Edward Smith, Ian Erza, Jeremy R., Lee Russell, Rebecca Reinhardt, Kayla Lockridge, John Soloway, Ben we- uh, Wesden Tim Walker, David Luton, Belinda McKay, Jay Ranella, Matthew Cantor, Eric Whiting, Peter England, Mark Stranano, and A he's listed as A. So here's basically the points list. I'm going to go in order. So basically we had fifth basically 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 51 different movies appeared on a total of 29 lists. So obviously there's a lot of movies from 1981 that aren't going to be represented, but number 1 to no surprise with 178 points is The Evil Dead. Um that basically number 2 is The Beyond with uh 152 points. Then three, we have American Wear for London with 147 points. And then four, 140 points, Friday the 13th, part two. Then five, uh, 137 points, My Bloody Valentine. Then we have a huge drop off here. Six, 89 points, Halloween 2. Seven, 75 points, Howling. Eight, 72 points, The Burning. Nine, 48 points, Possession. Ten, 47 points, Dead and Buried. Eleven, 44 scanners. Twelve, 43, The Prowler. 13, 40, House by the Cemetery. 14, 37, Fun House. 15, 35, Just Before Dawn. 16, 34, Happy Birthday to Me. 17, butcher. Uh, 27 points, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Uh, 18, 24, Wolfen. 19, 24, There's a tie, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. 20, 19, Ghost Story. 21, uh, 18, Miss 45. 22, 18, Cannibal Ferox. 23, 12, The Pit. 24, uh, 11, Nightmare and Damaged Brain. 25, 11, Evil Speak. 26, uh, 10 points, Graduation Day. 27, 10 points, Omen 3. 28, 9 points, Madman. 20, um, that's 28, Madman, and 9 points. 29, Tide, 9 points, Hell Knight. 30, uh, 9 points, Eyes of a Stranger. 31, um, 8 points, Final Exam. We'll go down here again. Um, eight points, Bloody Birthday, seven points, Road Game, seven points, Monster Club, seven points, Burial Ground, six points, Black Cat, five points, Piranha, five points, Heavy Metal, four points, Student Bodies, four points, Escape from New York, four points, Deadly Blessing, four points, Boogans, three points, Fear No Evil, three points, Dead Demonoid, and then we're at 45 here, three points, Blowout, 46, um, Zero, zero, uh, two points, Nesting, two points, Galaxy of Terror, two points, Allison's Birthday. And then we have three one-pointers for the 49, 50, and 51, Last Shark, Hospital, Massacre, and Ghost Keeper. So, yeah, um, the number of lists, basically, out of the 51 movies. So, again, this is kind of very similar to the other list. So, 24 is... Sorry, I need a drink of coffee. So, number one on 24 list is Evil Dead if we go by what appeared on the most list, then we have a three way tie Friday the 13th beyond and the American Horror in London all appeared on 21 list. Um, then we have 18 lists, my bloody Valentine 17 lists, the burning 16 Halloween Two, thirteen 13 list, the Holling 11 scanners, uh, 11 prowler and nine list house by the cemetery, eight list, happy birthday to me, dead and buried both at eight list and seven list, um, our possession fun house, butcher Baker, nightmare maker, um, then we have at 17, just before dawn, on six list, Dark Knight of Scarecrow, six list, 19, Wolfen five list, 20 um, is basically Ghost Story with four list. Then we have Hell Knight, Final Conflict, Omen three, Cannibal Ferox, all on three list. And then we have Road Games, The Pit, Nightmare and Damaged Brain, Miss 45, Madman, Graduation Day, Final Exam, Eyes of a Stranger, Evil, De- Evil Speak. I'm sorry, Deadly Blessing, Burial Ground, The Boogans, uh Bloody Birthday, Student Bodies, all oh wait Bloody Birthday, all on two list. Then we have the one lister, student bodies, piranha two, nesting, monster club, lash Hark, hospital massacre, heavy metal, ghost keeper, galaxy of terror, fiend or evil, escape from New York, Demonoid, Lloyd, Blowout, Black Cat, Allison's Birthday, all on one list. I feel like I didn't mention the Boogens. Oh yeah, the Boogans was uh got four points. So that's basically it. That's all the uh 1981 kind of stuff there. Now I want to ask you the question of the week what is the worst horror film from 1981? What is it? What is the one that you can't stand? So that way I can like... Can see if it I match up with you guys. And it's kind of a small update, so I'm gonna do it right here. Just kinda of take care of everything. I had to upgrade some nineteen eighty one movies if I'm gonna be watching them for nineteen eighty one. First up is Escape from New York by the legendary director John Carpenter, a absolute classic, an amazing cast with Kurt Russell, Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, Harry Dean Stanton, Eli Wallach. Isn't it Eli Wallach or is it or is it Lee Van Cleef? I think Eli Wallach's in here as well, maybe I'm mistaken. They're both not in here. Fucking Ernest Borgnine. Anyways, amazing fucking movie. Classic. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time. Also, upgraded Toby Hooper's Funhouse on 4K. Both those are Screen Factories. They are. I've not watched this in years. Looking forward to watching this in 4K. Um, I remember liking that one too. And last, certainly not least, this looks amazing. Project Wolf Hunting. This looks like a two hour, crazy, epic, gore action zombie film on a boat. Um, it's a South Korean movie. Um, I'm, this, I'm very excited for this. Didn't even know it was coming out until I saw the trailer. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, Project Wolf Hunting. So, it looks amazing. I hope it's amazing but anyways we're out of here guys all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one